the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, good afternoon and greetings. Thanks for coming along for the Wednesday edition of The Ride Home. And as always, we've got a jam-packed show for you. We Kath? sure do. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I had an issue this morning. An issue? Mm-hmm. Uh, with my With cleaning my bathtub. Yeah. And I shared it with you on video. I shared it with Lex on video as well. Right. Listen, I was late for work because I was overwhelmed by what was happening. So I, I, some things I engage with, other things I just ignore. Yeah. When and this you, was one of the things that you ignored. I did ignore. You sent a video of a bathtub with a lot of, like, bubbles, like you were taking a bubble bath. No, no. It and wasn't like a bathtub with a lot of bubbles. That's what it looked like. It was like... Literally, it was as tall as me, mm-hmm. the the height of the bubbles. Really? It was like five feet of bubbles, which you would have known if you would have hit play. Yeah, I just saw that. I thought, I don't need to see that. So so anyway, the, the long story short is you were cleaning the bathtub okay, so with bleach. You, okay, so here's, you know how you, uh, I have like a, a jacuzzi tub yep. type of thing, mm-hmm. which is dated. But, you know, I put it, it in 20 it years ago. It is yeah. what it is. Every three months, you have to clean out the jets. Mm-hmm. So you you pour a little bleach in the water and you run the jets, sure. you know, to make sure that there's scrub nothing. Yeah, scrub it through. And last time I did this, there was some sudsing, mm-hmm. but not an overwhelming amount. There was just a little bit of sudsing. So I thought perhaps that I got some, maybe there was some shampoo in the bottom of the tub mm-hmm. when I started the process. So Whatever. Mr. Bubble. Exactly. So this time I made sure to rinse it all out. Yeah. Okay. So I filled up the bathtub, put the bleach in, started the jets and, you know, went upstairs to do my thing. Mm-hmm. Just, it's, you know, the water's not running. It's just, you know, I came back in. It was like literally five feet high well, of sudsing enormity. Coming out of the bathtub. How much bleach did you use? Maybe a half cup. Mm-hmm. It was like an episode of I Love Lucy. It was. Mm-hmm. So I immediately texted you being such a good friend of mine. <laughs> I just ignored it. And Lexi, yeah. who didn't ignore it, yeah. thank goodness. And Lexi, you discovered. Mm-hmm. A little Google search uh, uncovered a few uh, nuggets of information, which isn't timely. Yeah. You use a um, thickened bleach because most people buy a thickened, quote unquote, bleach because it's less splash- splashage. Mm-hmm. So you're not like bleaching your clothes accidentally while you're cleaning. Um, but apparently the thickening agent also, if you're agitating that water a lot, uh, gets really sudsy really quick. And so there it is, right? The sudsy really quick. It was like a monster yeah. of bubbles. How'd you break the suds? Well, uh, I used hot water. Well, first of all, I just kind of let them settle for a while. Right. I mean, it was too much to handle, John. I, I, I always understand that if you get a lot of suds like that, you throw a bar of soap in there. Oh, that, that, that does sound familiar. Mm-hmm. 
That's but I, I didn't do that. Sorry. I just let it settle for a while. Had I chimed in, I would have said that. Thank you, but, if, mm-hmm. but you didn't care about me enough to well, even hit play on the video. So that was it. Anyway, I want you to know that I'm fine. Very good. Very good. <laughs> for all the concern good. you had right, during that, I'm just fine. And the jacuzzi tub? It, it, it's fine. Thank goodness that I have friends like Lexi who Very are able good. to like Doing come to my aid. Coming up on today's program mm-hmm. in the 5 o'clock hour, um, an etiquette guide to regifting. Yeah. I think regifting is is not just fine. I think it's good for the planet. <laughs> I, I I just don't. I choose not to do it. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in the five o'clock hour. Also, navigating being single during the holidays mm-hmm. with our friend Lisa Anderson. And in the four o'clock hour, we're going to talk about um, happy rules for happy kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ann Kennedy, who is a monthly guest on our show, just uh, did a podcast with her husband where they detailed some of the uh, rules they have for their kids. And boy, did people get upset Mm -hmm. about that. They sure did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. All that and more on the Wednesday edition of The Ride Home. But the world continues to revolve. Kath, without further ado, please. The news stories, the top four at four. For Wednesday, November 29th, 2023, number one. America's mental health crisis drove suicides to a record high number last year. Nearly 50,000 people in the U.S. lost their lives to suicide in 2022, according to the provisional tally from the National Center for Health Stats. That's the highest level since 1941. A shortage of health care workers, an increasingly toxic illicit drug supply, the ubiquity of firearms, and of course the trauma of the COVID era have facilitated the rise in suicides, according to mental health experts. Uh, highest rate of suicide, John? Men 75 and older. Firearms-related suicides became more common and become more common with age as people experience declining health, the loss of loved ones, and social isolations. Women seem to have um, as much suicide ideation but don't act on it as much as men. Uh, Suicide rates for American Indians and Alaska Natives almost double the rates for other Americans. But there is some good news. There is some good news. Um, Efforts to reach people in crisis are helping. Suicide rates for kids, 10 to 14 people 15 to 24 declined by 18 percent and 9 percent respectively so that is really good and adults are learning to talk to kids about suicide listen help is available there is a national suicide and crisis lifeline uh, 988 so if you call that or you text it you can reach someone that is anywhere in the contiguous uh, united states of america 988 Read more about that in today's Wall Street Journal. Number two, New Zealand's new prime minister plans to ban cell phone use in schools Hmm. and also repeal tobacco controls. Christopher Luxon outlined 49 actions he and his conservative government intend to take over the next three months. Many involve repealing initiatives from the previous government that was a liberal one, which had been in office for six years. Many of the plans, as you can imagine, are proving contentious, including the one to repeal tobacco restrictions. He's saying it's going to increase tax dollars. Well, no kidding. That's sure. what more kids will be smoking. That's what everybody thinks Leave of Pennsylvania. At home. That's for sure. Uh, also, two education initiatives, one requiring schools to teach an hour of reading, writing, and math each day, and another banning cell phone use reflect a sentiment among voters that schools have strayed from their primary mission. They have. I think, I mean, we can say that right in America. Yep. Yeah. Number three, 
Plans are moving ahead for a proposed video screen in a new plaza near PNC Park where people can watch pirate games without going into the stadium. Why would you do that? I don't know why you'd want to do that. The concept was first introduced to the Planning Commission last month, but uh, today... Commissioners voted in favor of an LED screen that will be 916 square feet, 23 feet tall. So the concern was that people who are on 279 are going to see the screen and will wreck. Right. Um, But it looks like they are tweaking that. So there are going to be uh, an there's going to be an angle to the video board downward. So it can't easily be seen. And it'll be set six feet and sit six feet back into a steel structure. Plus a giant evergreen. And there are going to be trees. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, What about the people who live nearby? There's Uh, there's no there's no commentary about those people. Anyway, it's going to city council for final approval. That's from today's trip. And number four, Mm. I got a weird animal story for you. It's been a while. Hasn't it? Uh huh. <laughs> An ultra-rare gigantic rat, so big that it puts New York City's subway-dwelling rodents to shame, has been caught on camera for the first time. Euromus vica, a giant rat known for being one of the world's world's rarest rodents. That's hard to say. The world's rarest rodents is found in just one isolated spot, the island of Vangunu in the Solomon Islands. Uh, it's huge. The giant rat, at least twice the size of a common rat, D-D-D. tree dwelling, and reportedly can mm. chew through coconuts mm. with its teeth. And that's your top four at four. Tree dwelling. Mm-hmm. No thanks. Yeah, the rodents grow to a, about the size of a newborn baby. That's not counting the tail. A lot of things don't gross me out. That grosses me out. Yeah. Yeah, that's really horrible. Long, long mm-hmm. tails, very short ears, and super gross. Keep your distance by mm-hmm. any means possible. Well, then don't go to that island. Oh, please, thank you. Okay. All right, we'll take a quick break. Come back. Uh, it's Wednesday show. The Wednesday show is underway. We're going to talk next about Advent. Come, Lord Jesus. You're listening to Pittsburgh Christian Talk. It's Word FM. Just in the nick of time, the first Sunday of Advent is this Sunday. Here to talk to us about that is Pastor Josh Brown, who's a senior pastor at Belfield Presbyterian Church in the Oakland neighborhood here in the city of Pittsburgh. Hey, Josh, happy Advent to you. Hey, thanks, John and Kathy. I appreciate having me back on again. So Advent, people look at it and say, I think, first off, I think a lot of people don't celebrate Advent. Um, I've talked before on the air about when I was growing up, Advent wasn't really a thing. Not in, even a calendar. In my church. No, I didn't have an Advent calendar. And Advent wasn't a really thing we talked about in, in Sunday worship. I think that that's – there's, there's a bit of irony, Kathy, because I think that a lot of churches don't officially – uh, celebrated or acknowledged it as part of a liturgical year, but it, the observation of Advent shows up a whole lot of different places. We, we recently got uh, an Advent calendar for our dog from Trader Joe's. Where <laughs> right, every right. Day, I got one for my cats. It, yeah, you know, every what? day there's a new little treat for him, and we, we did that last year, and he thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. He doesn't know what Advent is. Um, but you see that kind of acknowledgement of it, where it's this sort of countdown to Christmas, that shows up all over the place. But what it's really supposed to be about and uh, the heart of it, I think the, the origins of it, sort of how, what function it plays in, in the life of a church, that I think is what people miss often. Right. So it's interesting. So then from a secular worldview, dog and cat advent calendars, but then the church itself would largely ignore the liturgical calendar, which leads us to advent. And of course, advent is come Lord Jesus. It is in some ways, is it fair to say, Josh, that it's a gateway to, to Christmas Day? 
I think so, and that's why you see it in so many of the secular realms, right? It just becomes a becomes a 25-day countdown to Christmas so you can get all your decorations out and all that kind of stuff and start to gradually ease your way into the season or just, you know, dive in head first, whatever you want. But, yeah, that's why I think it shows up somewhere. It is just a countdown to Christmas. It's meant to have a, a certainly that, that is a part of it. We're preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but I think there's a deeper and richer sense that the church has seen in Advent uh, during the time of it. And some traditions clearly focus on a little bit more than others, but the idea of preparing your hearts and your minds uh, for the good news of Jesus is, is really what it's about. On one level, it's a, it's a pretty simple concept. You're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but as you start to think about what's involved in getting ready to celebrate it, then you see that there are there are a lot of aspects to that. I mean, one of them is, is simply uh, we need to acknowledge why is it that we needed Jesus to come to us. So there there's a there's some acknowledgement there that we are a people, as Isaiah said, a people who are walking in darkness. That we are somebody who a people who need to have a light come to us. So Advent it has a has a time of a kind of repentance to it, acknowledging that we are in need of this Savior who has come. It means understanding how God had promised to send this Savior throughout the ages and the ways in which we see the, the prophecies of Jesus and, and how there was this anticipation, this expectation for his arrival. Uh, and then when he comes, celebrating really what, what does that mean? Why is that good news uh, not just for the world, but for each of us individually who put our trust in Jesus. So you start to find that there's a real depth to it that goes beyond just how many more days so I can open a present. Mm-hmm. And that also implies, as you're saying, Josh, some familiarity that Christmas is part of that whole story, a bigger story. And so it's not just an isolated celebration. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think that's why it, it can be good for churches to uh, tell some of that story throughout the Advent season. So you can, the, the kind of scripture readings that can be done, some of the prayers, you, you can weave some of those themes all throughout there that this was the birth of Jesus was something that God had promised that he would do. Uh, there were There was a reason that we needed the Savior to come to us. Uh, there was a longing that people had. There were also some misconceptions that people had. But then when Jesus does arrive, what does that mean? And what does that mean for us as a people who are awaiting his re-advent? Mm-hmm. So, Josh, uh, not preparing adequately, um, it's sort of like getting ready for a wedding where you just kind of show up on your wedding day in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, where as opposed to being wed properly requires a lot of, uh, of thought and study and prayer and all these engagements, because then, of course, the wedding day is a great celebration, where as opposed to just showing up in your T-shirt and shorts, it's not that big of a deal. So you should uh, uh, you should prepare appropriately. People do this individually. Of course, there's, I'm sure, 10,000-plus books written about how to approach Advent carefully. But you can also do that along with self-study, yeah? You can, yeah. And that's a fair uh, comparison, I think, in terms of the, benef- the benefits of just getting ready for it. Now, can, can you celebrate the birth of Jesus? Can you be grateful? Can you rejoice in that? Can, can you find all reasons to give thanks for that if you don't really uh, approach Advent in an intentional way? Sure, of course you can, but you're going to find, I think, a greater depth to it. For yourself personally, but you're also going to um, just to start to see that that larger picture of what it is that God was doing uh, in and through Jesus 
when you take some time to to focus on it, to, to contemplate on it, to think about it. And, and you can do that in all kinds of ways. Um, I don't mean to suggest that it has to be confined to the, the four Sundays on which the church is gathered. That's, a, that's certainly an, an easy place in which these things can be done. Um, but they can be personal times of prayer and scripture reading and just reflecting. And you know, what, what is this season about? Why was it such good news that Jesus came? Why did Jesus need to come? What, what does that mean for me? And as scripture says, this same Jesus will return again. Um, how, how does that equip me? to wait and prepare for that day. Mm. Josh Brown is with us from Belfield Presbyterian Church in the Oakland part of Pittsburgh. Um, Josh, when I look at what's happening in Israel and uh, it particularly in Gaza, when I think about news reports today from uh, Ukraine, it's it's not everything is good. It's not the dog by the fireplace with a, with a nice red blanket and, you know, everybody eating cookies and being happy. Um, but I also remind myself that that's not what it was like when Jesus was born either. But kind of help us to, I don't know, help us to come to grips with the dissonance. Yeah, that, well, that is, that, that's the difficult part of it, right? Because we are celebrating this good news that Jesus did come, that he lived this perfect life that we were called to live, but did not do on our own. And he, he died this death that was the just consequence handed down against sin. And he's been raised again, showing that the grave is not the final word in the story and that he's ascended. And so those are all the good things. But yes, we're, we're in that time between the times. Sometimes people call it this, this uh, already, but not yet, where Jesus has done those things. And yet he has not yet returned to bring about the fullness of God's kingdom. So there is that tension. It's a tension of living, knowing what Jesus has done and that his death, resurrection, in a sense of are, are the decisive events of history, but also seeing all around us uh, continued evidence of the fact that we need this same Savior. Um, and so it is, uh, those are, there are, there are heartbreaking examples all over, all around us, whether it's across the street or around the world, or we can say that this is a, another reason why I can see the need for Jesus. So we, we are celebrating, um, but without turning a blind eye to the fact that there is still this same need for Jesus. And particularly the way scripture ends, the book of Revelation is really geared towards uh, looking for the return of this Jesus. That, that's the final prayer, John. I think you said it right at the beginning of our time. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the final prayer of Scripture, because that, that is what should be on our hearts. Mm-hmm. So, Josh, this Sunday, as you rightly said, is the first Sunday of Advent. And, of course, um, mm-hmm. you follow along with any lectionary. There, there are readings that are in place. And, and it would be good, as people are listening right now, uh, not to just show up uh, on Sunday morning and sit in the pews and go, okay, uh, what are those readings? But people can easily find those along with you know any prayer journey. I mean, um, this is an important thing to prepare come Lord Jesus for this very first Sunday of of Advent. And I'm sure in some ways uh, you at Belfield, you'll be doing the same thing along uh, following each week. We will, and churches can do that in different ways based on their tradition. Some, some that are more liturgical by nature probably have uh, set readings that they do, maybe even every year they're the same ones, or they have a kind of a, a, a 
you know, cycle of them or something like that. But even if you're a church or an individual that doesn't have a more highly liturgical format like that, you can still find uh, great resources. Like you said, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of good devotionals that can lead you through Advent. Um, even just some of your own uh, time in scripture reading and prayer can be good. Uh, but but getting getting kind of in sort of re reattuned, if you will, to some of these themes, and, and it's they're they're uh, all throughout scripture. Um, but they they are the thing that can really help us to see why this is such good news why this is something that we do celebrate and why Jesus return is something for which we continually long. Josh, for people listening to the show who maybe never walked into a church, um, maybe never before today even heard Advent other than, you know, the, the dog calendar that you got at Trader <laughs> <That's smart. laughs> Um What would you say to someone who's who just has never considered Christ, uh, Christmas in, a, in any kind of spiritual context? Um, I don't know. Is it too late to start? How, or, if, or if they want to, how, how do they step in? No, of course. Of course, it's never too late to start. Um, and, and I think that... Uh, you, you start just by starting, really, and I know that yeah, sounds no, a little good. silly, but but uh, whether whether that you know, if you've never been to a church, I realize walking into one can be a little overwhelming, a little intimidating, a little daunting. I think one of the things that is helpful just about how many different churches have live streams and things like that nowadays is that if that's an easier first step for people, that that can be maybe an easier way to just sort of check some things out. I think there's something about being with one another if you are able to. Some people aren't able to, but if you're able to actually be with one another, I think that that's something you can't totally replicate, but you could always kind of check some things out there. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's, don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. I guess I would say, I mean, I mean, I know a lot of, I've got a lot of friends who are pastors. I, I don't know that any of them would be offended if somebody walked up and said, Hey, I don't understand this. Could you explain it to me? <laughs> uh, they would love, they would love to talk about it. So you can ask questions. Uh, what, what does this mean? Why do we do these things? Um, what is it that we're trying to celebrate at this time? And, and uh, you know, listen, I guess would be good. Kind of try to see what it is that you're hearing and, and uh, what does some of these things mean? Um, but really just being willing to uh, engage with it, I think is, is where it has mm-hmm. to start. I'm into that. We're talking with Pastor Josh Brown. He's a senior pastor at Belfield Presbyterian Church. It's in the Oakland neighborhood here in the city of Pittsburgh, right across from uh, the Belfield, uh, right across from the University of Pittsburgh dormitories, the towers, easily found there on Fifth Avenue. Uh, Josh, talk to us about Belfield uh, as you prepare for this Christmas season. Yeah, we we do things maybe a little bit differently than some do, and that's just because of the nature of our context in the university communities. Most of our most of our students, and so an enormous part of our community, uh, clear out about the midpoint of the month once finals are all done. So we have done something for years uh, that we call Christmas Eve before you leave. And that's it, it's a, we do a Christmas Eve service before finals week. And it's just a chance for our students to say, hey, you may not be with us on Christmas Eve, but we want to still celebrate this. Uh, we, of course, actually have a real Christmas Eve <laughs> service on on Christmas Eve as well. Um, but we try to have some other times throughout the next month where we can gather and just share some food together, where we can spend some time in prayer, where we can sing. We have our services each week. Uh, our worship lineup can be found on our website. We've got three different services each week. So we try to provide a number of different opportunities for people to do that while recognizing that just some of the, the nature of, of the community that we have here maybe runs on a slightly different uh, cyclical rhythm than some others. Very good. Well, Josh, always a pleasure. We appreciate your clarity and your willingness to uh, engage with us here on a monthly basis. We won't uh, see you before Christmas, so Merry Christmas to you and yours. 
Yeah, Merry Christmas to you both. Thanks once again for having me, and I uh, hope you uh, hope you have a very meaningful Advent season where you can rejoice and, and rest in what it is Christ has done. That's Reverend Josh Brown from Belfield Presbyterian Church in Oakland. You can check him out online at Belfield. That's B-E-L-L-E-F-I-E-L-D dot org. We often talk about the rise of AI because it's not only coming, it is really here in full flourish. But uh, what is portending down the road, that's a whole other story. But uh, reported this week that the the legacy magazine, Sports Illustrated, has been caught up in AI, I would say trickery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sports Illustrated said on Monday that it had deleted several articles from its website after a report about the once celebrated legacy magazine saying that Sports Illustrated had published several articles under fake author names and stories and images generated by AI. The report, which was published first by Futurism, found that the magazine had repeatedly published articles whose authors' names and bios could not be found online outside the Sports Illustrated website. The articles were all accompanied by AI-generated profile photos that Futurism also found for sale on digital marketplaces that sell AI-produced headshots. During the course of Futurism's reporting, some of the alleged Sports Illustrated writers mysteriously vanished from the publication's website, Mm. and their articles began appearing under the names of different authors who similarly didn't appear to exist online and whose likenesses were also being sold on AI headshot marketplaces. What happened to Sports Illustrated? It was a giant, wasn't it? It was the the gleaming gem of sports writing in America. as As a kid, waiting by the mailbox knowing that every Tuesday the mailman would deliver the new edition of Sports Illustrated. When I got my first real job, uh, that was my junior year in college, the first thing I did was get a subscription to Sports Illustrated. I'd been waiting for that pretty much my, my whole life. Yeah. I, when I get a job and have regular income, I'm going. That was, I mean, when it came the first time, I thought I am an adult. Mm-hmm. Here it is. I mean, I am a wage earning person, and now I can get this and a deep dive into some of the it, great writers of the times. Some of the writing was yeah. out. I mean, it was incredible. Excellent. I read it. I mean, stem to stern, yeah, sure. every single week. Of course. And, and, and sports you would never be really interested in. And they would do right. these quirky things yeah, on you'd read something polo about, or exactly, you know, whatever. Or discus go, throwing. What is or this what, all about? was so, so, so good. And I know that every magazine has declined. <sighs> but there's no greater, steeper decline than SI. Yeah, I agree. And, of course, because every magazine is declining, whether it's in print or online, we'll talk a little bit about um, popular mechanics, a little popular science mm-hmm. a little later on in the show, they're all declining. People's reading habits are totally, totally different than what you and I grew up with. And because of that, they're all struggling with raising enough money, ad revenue, to pay a staff. So, of course, using AI-generated work, cheap, free, easy. So, yeah, why not go there? But at the same time, hiding that fact, producing, you know, fake bios and photographs. That's not the way to go. I mean... Good grief. I know that people get their sports from radio more than they used to, and definitely from TV more than they used to. There was no ESPN when uh, SI was in its, its heyday. But still, there's something sad about the fact that we get all... 
of our sports fix from the visual and not from the thoughtful pieces that SI used to put out. Right. I mean, in response, um, uh, Sports Illustrated talked about, well, the rise of video and the decline of print media. Right. Yeah, I get it. To be be honest, I I know I'm old like this. I don't watch a lot of video pertaining to what I'm doing. I'm not someone who's on YouTube regularly. I just I, I prefer to read. Well, I'm on YouTube regularly, but I would much, when it comes to news, I never watch news video. Never. I think it's a waste of time. It's so narrow. It is so narrow. Reading an article, you can get so much more in such a shorter amount of time than watching TV. And grateful for those uh, newspapers and publications that still exist and do long-form reporting on the important issues of the day. But, I mean... If Sports Illustrated would have been up front and said, this is what we're doing, that would have created another backlash. But then to hide it only made things worse. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, they were all, their grave had already been dug, but now it's mm-hmm. like, you know, now people are piling on. AI, it's here. Has this happened to you? You get married, you have a baby. And all of a sudden, you're supposed to be a parenting expert. Right? There's the baby. Yeah, these tiny people are totally helpless and reliant on you for 100% of life. Right. And yet you're, you know, so immature you can barely care for yourself. And all of a sudden you have this, the future of this whole human in your hand. So what are the skills, the necessary education to teach a tiny baby to be a active and engaged a responsible adult who loves Jesus. Well, never has the twain between the culture and the Christian faith been so disparate. Ann Kennedy's back with us. She is the author of Nailed It, 365 Sarcastic Devotionals for Angry and Worn Out People. She blogs every day at PreventingGrace.com, also has an excellent substack. And her and her husband, Matt, do a podcast, which we'll talk about. But, uh, Ann, welcome back to the show. Hi. Thank you. It's great to be back. So you and uh, Matt do a podcast together, but Matt put a uh, tweet out. I'm still calling it a tweet. I don't care because I hate X. Um, Anyway, he put a tweet out saying that, uh, you know, since your kids are older now and uh, none of them are in prison and uh, they're generally pleasant to be around, he thought he would put out some of the parenting uh, things, rules, uh, goals that you stuck to, the two of you, when you were raising your six kids. Some good advice. And wow, did that get a lot of feedback. Uh, First off, talk about the experience. Why did you guys decide to put that out? And were you ready for what was coming? Well, that was one of those brilliant moments where Matt was just sort of blithely tweeting. And I found out about it, you know, a day later when I was reading the comments. And uh, I know, I mean, it wasn't sort of, you know, the way that you tweet or X or whatever, you don't really think about it ahead of time. And then you discover that you've said something immensely unpopular or, you know, that your life is now forever changed. Uh, so he he has enjoyed, because that tweet, that tweet thread is about a year old, he has enjoyed reposting it periodically just to <laughs> re-inflame the internet. And I'm always like, please pick a good day. Don't, don't pick a, a day that's not good for me to do that. <laughs> so 
it wasn't a considered uh, option, but we have enjoyed it a lot. Good. So it goes through cycles then, Anne, and every time that Matt mm-hmm. reposts this, it inflames more and more people. Now, t- to be honest, I mean, uh, let me just read a couple of things from this so our audience knows what we're talking about. Uh, Matt uh, Kennedy tweets this. Um, now that our children are older and none of them are in jail and all six are be- be- believing and generally pleasant to be with, I think I'll give some parenting advice. We didn't make any of this up ourselves and gleaned it from various books and other parents, but here's what we, uh, here's what we did. One, we only had four rules, and they kept us sane and our kids happy since they knew that where, the, where the lines were. One, immediate obedience, not to immediately obey, is to disobey. This is the most important one. With this one rule in place and enforced, you don't need a huge list of rules. Two, speak to, answer, look at your mother with absolute honor, respect, and deference. They tended to do that with me, but when I'm not around, they needed to know that if they say, or, uh, they say any cross or disrespectful word to her, they said it to me. Three, no lying. I know this seems self-evident, but when the child tells his or her first lie, it seems cute, and you want to laugh rather than discipline. But if you don't enforce this rule from the earliest age, you're dooming your child to a lifetime of misery. And four, at the table, eat whatever you are... Eat whatever you are given, cheerfully, and never say anything negative about any food that is set before you ever. Be positive and grateful. Always be thankful. If they get used to complaining about food, that's a habit that they will bleed over into everything. And, and to be honest, and th- that's the entirety for them. I mean, that's not the fully entirety, but that is the, the spine of the four rules that have guided you and, and Matt throughout raising your own six kids. But um, apparently... This inflamed many, many people on a regular basis. Yeah, I. they are so simple, and they really have not been onerous for us. We've, we've really enjoyed having six kids. We've homeschooled. Our kids have been so pleasant. We, we haven't had any teenage rebellion at all. And then we have a, we have a 21-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old. Those are the ones you know, they're in their teens, and then we have 14 and 12, and we have four girls, so I feel like the possibility for, you know, drama and complaint and uh, trouble was definitely stacked against us, but we, we didn't, you know, kill ourselves trying to figure out what kind of household we wanted. We just knew that we wanted to enjoy our kids, and it was adults, and uh, our kids are, uh, you know, really interesting people who are able to express themselves and uh, other people. Here's a, a, a big one. Other people enjoy being with our kids. Hmm. So uh, I, uh, I did, I, every time it does get inflamed, I'm surprised because these are not just sort of American parenting things, but I've lived in other cultures, most cultures around the world as basic uh, parenting staples, however a culture might live them out. I haven't been too many places where these four things weren't the primary thing. Mm, Interesting. Okay, so you grew up in Africa, um, and so you're saying that you're, I mean, you're perspective is not only selected to, you know, the upper part of New York State in the U.S., Right. No, I, I mean, I'm not native to here and uh, I, I grew up in West Africa, but I spent a lot of time in the U S and my husband's from Texas. 
and I mean, he's traveled around Asia, and uh, we've, I've spent a lot of time in Europe. I lived in France for a while. So, you know, I haven't seen every single place on Earth, of course, but broadly speaking, most people around the world don't let their children speak to them disrespectfully. They expect that their children will do what they say the minute they say to do it. And then food is always a really big uh, a big deal. You know, how a, a child approaches food will inflect the rest of their lives. And so, you know, it's kind of a small, it looks small in the beginning. It's kind of basic, but uh, it means that you end up having really beautiful dinners together and enjoying lots of long conversations if you can be grateful uh, for what's in front of your plate. And it doesn't mean that you have to like things, you know, or that you can't have tastes and you can't have your own personality either. I think that's what's surprising is a lot of people think that these four things will eviscerate your child's personality and right. agent, agency, which is actually the opposite if you... If you bring up children this way, they, who they are in their peculiarities really has a chance to flourish, which is a word that everybody loves, or flower and grow. And they become interesting people who are able to have relationships with other people and God and to know themselves. It's so basic. I, again, I knew, I'm always surprised. Why is this surprising? But it really is. Mm-hmm. And so now, in this round of outrage, Anne, uh, you and Matt have taken things a little step further. You've allowed your children to appear uh, and speak about this. Can you tell us about that? Well, so there, a person on the Internet, on YouTube, did a, a long, almost half-hour takedown of these four tweets and was really outraged by them and, and said a lot of things about our family that are were just manifestly untrue. And one of our children found this uh, this YouTube. Um, I, I, he, she was Googling her father to see what sort of person he is, Just something I don't recommend anybody do. But anyway, she had a good time, and she found this video, and we all watched it, and uh, we were um, we thought it was really funny. And the kids themselves said that they had many things to say and they would like to respond because they're the ones who grew up this way and they were offended that somebody would, you know, Hmm. make a lot of assumptions about how they turned out based on what, you know, a tweet thread. And, um, And so we had a really good time. We had to do two parts, did it over the Thanksgiving uh, weekend because it's hard to get us all in one place at the same time. And uh, the one one child said she enjoyed herself enormously. She, enormously, she especially liked that we had a little microphone we were passing around, and she thought that we should always hold a little microphone and pass it around because it's hard to hear. We're all shouting over each other all the time, and this was the one time in our lives when we had to be quiet and listen. And she thought that was really special. Excellent, good. So good. I mean, they spoke their piece. Uh, so after, and they don't seem they don't seem to be. Injured by what Damaged, you guys have done, yeah, I yeah, guess. Right, right, right. Yeah, they they are not injured at all. I yeah. mean, they're extremely expressive. I've often said I wish I could have repressed them, but I didn't know how. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. okay, well, so, what what about the corporal punishment apps aspect of it? Because that's the one that engendered, I would say, the most commentary from people online. 
Well, so this is another case where I think Americans and I guess now Westerners are just deeply confused. They they don't know what it means. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know how to win a battle with their children. That's really mm. the issue. And parents have to win. And I think through history and across time places, people have done that. Um, there's biblical uh, reasoning to do to to administer a little bit of pain, clear clears the air and shows the child the way of discretion and righteousness really quickly in a way that keeps the emotional life of your family uncluttered and uh, um, pleasant. You're, you're not in this like always uh, state of always disciplining. You're not counting. You don't have a special um, feelings corner. I think that's a big thing now. And you just, uh, you, when a child does something that is not acceptable, and again, you do, you have to be a reasonable, normal person. Uh, you have to uh, uh, yourself humble yourself before the law of God and obey Jesus yourself. You have to know what the law is and that it's not your feelings. It's that there's a, an external measurable standard that you can hold your child to. And when they violate a law or a rule, you you, you have swift retribution, but it's not crushing you know you administer a little bit of pain uh in a in appropriate way to your child and that gets their attention you tell them um that you love them and that jesus is their savior and that they need to follow and obey jesus because he uh, loves them you give them a hug and they go play again and that only goes up until almost like age four but it's not a um, uh, it's not a big thing. And again, I don't know of very many cultures where this hasn't been a part of child rearing. I'm into but, that. Uh, yeah, and uh, we appreciate this. And we've known you for all these many years. And so reading uh, what you've written, watching you and Matt uh, on video and the, your monthly visits with, with us, we appreciate what you're doing here. I mean, we don't think it's crazy talk at all. That's why we want you to have you with us here to, to talk about this to our audience, because I would imagine many in our audience are nodding their head as well. Follow Ann Kennedy wherever you can and see how things turn out over the next 20. Uh, you can find Ann at her Substack. Uh, she blogs every day. Are you still at PreventingGrace.com, too? I am there uh, once a week. I blog there once a week and on Stand Firm once a week. And then all the other days I'm over on Substack. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. That's Ann Kennedy. Always good, Ann. Thank you so much. We talked a little bit about our handwriting or lack thereof on the show. And uh, this is interesting because California passed a law just last month requiring the teaching of cursive or what they call joined italics handwriting in grades one through six, emphasizing its value in reading historical documents and, and improving writing speed. The push for cursive education has faced criticism, with opponents arguing the time in the classroom could be better spent on skills like coding and keyboarding. However, supporters point to studies linking cursive to cognitive abilities Mm -hmm. and is helpful for those with dyslexia uh, working their way through. Okay, Okay. so it makes a good point. You're reading the Declaration of Independence. Right, you're not going to know what that's even saying if you don't have any cursive in your mind. Right. Yeah, so who's asking for this? 
It's a California law. It's a California law. Mm-hmm. Okay. They passed a law late last month requiring the teaching of cursive in grades one through six. I wonder what's required in Pennsylvania. I don't even know that. Well, I mean, it seems like something I should know. But no, I, I mean, cursive was abandoned. Do you remember? Was it in your schoolroom? The cursive above sure. the blackboard. Oh yeah, Lexi, right? was that in your classroom? Right? I mean, it was indeed. It yeah. was okay. Okay. So. Whether did you learn cursive? Were you taught cursive? Sure, of yeah, course. Yeah, so was I. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you use cursive? Uh, no. I don't either. Only in my hand. Only in my signature. Signature, right? Everything else. My I cursive is really terrible. Both of my daughters do though. They use cursive. Uh huh. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, greetings. Good afternoon to you. Welcome along for the 5 o'clock hour of the Wednesday edition of The Ride Home. Hey, I mean, by comparison, it's uh, it feels very warm out there, doesn't it? It does feel very warm out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly not as cold as yesterday. But you know what's making it warmer is mm. the fact that I have two cookies in front of me prepared by our erstwhile producer, uh-huh, uh-huh. Lexi Merritt. Yes. Do you have them in front of you? Lexi, I've, I've chosen to uh, reserve this time for the tasting of your cookies. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. I hope they're good. Now, I have one selection here, which is sweet potato. Uh, it's a sweet potato cookie. Can you talk to me about that, please? Yeah, so I looked at the pumpkin chocolate chip cookie and said, what if I made this with sweet potato? Mm. Uh, so that's what I did, and instead of chocolate chips, I put um, marshmallows in it oh instead. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. That is absolutely delicious. Yeah, Yay! Mm. I'm oh, so my glad. gosh. Okay, so this is not this is, it's not a guilt-free cookie. Who are we kidding? No. But... It has some serious nutritional weight to it. Does it? I guess so. It has well, sweet potato in it. Yeah. I mean, how much sweet potato? Uh, uh, probably maybe a little over one-fourth cup, maybe half cup. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, it's delicious. Okay. Now, see, <laughs> Lex, yep. Lex came in before the show. John doesn't want to eat this. And she gave us two cookies each. And then, so Kath is now <clears throat> doing this you know, sort of taste testing thing. I just sat at my desk and ate both cookies. <laughs> Did you like them? I love them. Oh, good. I'm Happily. glad. Yeah, but you know, I, I wasn't doing any taste. Well, let's just went, focus a little glub, bit. Glove, 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 glove. Okay, so okay. this is a sweet potato one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the other one is yeah. what? It's the pumpkin chocolate chip cookie, actually. Oh, is it the same recipe? Uh, yeah, so I found the recipe online, um, and the pumpkin chocolate chip one is the original one. It's a very good recipe. Um, the only thing that I changed in this recipe, which I also changed with the sweet potato cookie obviously is um i added unsweetened chocolate to it because it's a really sweet cookie so mm. i wanted to cut that a little bit and also i browned the butter a little bit so mm. that way it adds like a little extra flavor to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a very good cookie i can see i can't taste the sweet potato no? I, I would not know it was sweet potatoes no. but but i would know this is chocolate mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. i would say though I prefer the sweet potato one. I, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I, oops, just I think the texture is better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Very yeah. Nice. Lex, I think you've discovered something mm-hmm. that's better than the original. So, oh, man. This will find its way to the um, Christmas cookie collection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'll bring it to the Could, Christmas party next week. Seriously, can you send me the recipe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think can. I, I think I like this. <laughs> <laughs> but this was, you made this up. 
Uh, I made the sweet potato cookie mm-hmm. one up. I think you did a nice job, Lex. Excellent. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Oh, wait. So yeah, uh, we're talking about this. So next Wednesday is the uh, Word FM uh, annual Christmas party. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't you think it would be helped by some homemade thing? Oh, yeah. Who's going to make the homemade thing? Well, Lexi. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring in a loaf of bread. No, she didn't mean to, you know. No. All of a sudden, we're opening up the door. Hey, Lex, could you make us this and make us that? But that was very good. Very good. Well, there's a Springhouse catering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the Springhouse. Excellent. Maybe Marsha will make an appearance as well. Mm-hmm. I don't have the... Um, uh, aforementioned white elephant <clears throat> gift, yeah. The white elephant gift, which always makes the appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, but I have a good idea. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember the year I had a bowling pin? That was a really good... I, I loved how that looked. You you had that in your house for... No, it was Mike Adams. Oh, Mike Adams. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I he have some it. more of them. That's. I think, that's a, I think that was a very nice... That was a very cool look, like for somebody's den. Yeah. Somebody's man cave. It's like a real bowling pin that had been greatly used. Woman cave. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, I'm always a little leery of the white elephant because I want to. Why get to... you're the one that everyone looks to as like the the gold standard? Well, because for a long time I was doing like some really like cheese ball stuff. Then I just felt bad and thought, well, I better you know sort of up my game a little bit and go a little you know. Why? Nicer. Because for two years in a row. <clears throat> You had scary dolls, like they weren't scary, scary dolls. They were. They were that scary, scary Santa doll. dolls that from was like not. 1940. No, that's that, yeah. That, that's what Stephen King writes books about. That original doll was like I've got a picture of me holding that doll as a little boy. That was like an emotional thing for me. And then I gave it away, and people were like, "Because it's I was awful." Like, no, it wasn't. No, it was. It was like a, for me. It was Lexi, like a warm and cuddly. Lexi, if you saw one picture of this, you'd run away screaming. I, I don't think oh, so. No. Mm-hmm. I really don't think so. I'm surprised by that. I didn't know it was yours. It kind of hurt my feelings. Well, it wasn't. It was a replica of what, oh. I, you know, mine's long since gone. I mean, it was in the toy box, you know. No. But I, I looked on eBay and thought, oh, there it is. And so I got it. And then everybody was like mocking it. I was like, oh, I, I didn't know that I grew up like in a horror house or something like that. Well, because you know what dolls do Jeez. in the mind of those who are. It was a Christmas memory gone bad, apparently. That's what I thought. That was your. So that you cuddled with that at Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did. Not even not on Christmas all year long. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, you've had therapy. <laughs> that right? is a very cute little thing. It's not one cute thing I can't about believe it. That. Not one. Anyway, so cute now this year, that. you know, the Secret Santa thing and the what? Are the, what are you calling it? What is it called? The white elephant. Gift? White elephant. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not Secret Santa because Secret Santa, right? It's not white elephant. Because. I mean, you want something decent. I, I mean, I don't want to like have one more thing to throw in the trash pile. Which? What? So now I have to go out and get a nice thing? Is that what you're saying? Well, you got a nice thing last year. Did I? I got a gift last year, which I sort of upped my game, like I, I said. And then you were like, "Oh, I oh, want I this. loved that's the shirt. That's the yeah. radio shirt. I right. love that. Yeah, I love that shirt. And see, that was, that like, was a good one, John. I think so too. Nice, yeah. better than that doll. Yeah. Well, the best I think the best secret Santa that anybody ever here ever had here was Lynn, uh, who works back in HR, and uh, she did our general manager's face on a pair of socks. Yeah, it was, which was shocking. It was pure and ridiculous. It can, it can never be topped. Never, never topped. No, no, really, very. It was excellent. Anyway, time to step away. But when we come back, oh, we're talking about gifts. Yeah, we're going to turn our attention to regifting. So, what happens when you get the gift? It's a perfectly fine gift, mm-hmm. but you just put it aside so that you can give it to somebody else. 
I think it's the perfect part of recycling. This is bad. Okay, we'll talk about it next. It's the Wednesday edition. It's the Ride Home. So tis the season, of course, where people are buying and getting ready to give gifts. But this clip from Seinfeld essentially sets the stage for this conversation. Hey. Hey. How? Is that a label maker? Yes, it is. I got it as a gift. It's a label baby junior. Love the label baby, baby. <laughs> you know, those things make great gifts. I just got one of those for Tim Watley for Christmas. Tim Watley? Yeah. Who sent you that one? One Tim Watley. No, my Tim Watley? The same. He sent it as a thank you for my Super Bowl tickets. I think this is the same one I gave him. He recycled this gift. He's a regifter. Or maybe he liked your gift so much he decided to get me the same thing. Perhaps it's an homage. Yeah, perhaps. Well, how did he react when you gave it to him? Um, he said... Oh, a label maker. How about that? He repeated the name of the gift? Yeah, so? Oh, well, if you repeat the name of the gift, you can't possibly like it. What do you mean? Oh, you know, like when someone opens something up and they go, oh, tube socks. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? I don't know. I guess I'll just get invited up to his apartment and see if he's got a label maker. Why'd you get him a gift anyway? Oh, he did some dental work for me. He didn't charge me, so I thought I'd get him a Christmas present. Yeah, well, if you're getting him anything for his birthday, I'm a large. <laughs> All right, the, the laugh track notwithstanding. Because that's a lot of laugh track. It is a lot. So the re-gifting, that's hot-button issues still in this day and age for a lot of people. you think there... that that would have settled it. I don't think so. So... The Proper Etiquette Guide to Regifting. There's an article in the Washington Post the other day. Mm -hmm. Is there the proper etiquette to regifting? Yes. There is. Yes. I mean, the first thing, and this is what the article says, but this is the first thing I would say, mm. is you can't regift used items. Oh, please. You can't, like, get a blender. <laughs> Use it and then give it away? And then give it. Yeah, you can't do that. I think all of us have heard horror stories of every imaginable regifting experience, right? I don't know. I, I think regifting is a glorious practice. Really? I, I, I will I, not do it. I think it's terrific. I, I think it's in poor taste. I love everything about really, it. Really? I just, I would never do it. And I'm not trying to be a snob or anything. I just, it feels like, it, it just feels like in poor taste. It. Well, you know, I don't my I don't want to live in your expectations. <laughs> so let me just say, John, that if you get something that you don't like or aren't going to use, why wouldn't you put it aside? You just it feels as though it just feels cheap. Like you you don't well, really care enough about the person you're giving the gift. Of course it's cheap. No, like that's not part even of... cheap not even cheap monetarily. Just cheap Emotionally, cheap uh, of a but human th connection. But, that, but that's how you're looking at it. Well, if that's you, exactly how I feel. If I mean, you're looking at it in another perspective, which is, I don't want this very nice thing to go to waste. So I'll give it the goodwill. No, so I'm going to give it to someone. No. Okay, listen. The second thing the Washington Post says is you should rewrap it. Of course you should. <laughs> that's a, like the bare minimum. Right, I mean, let's should, talk about no, a low bar. Right, okay. Um, you must keep track of who gave you the gift. Because, because otherwise, this is what happens. The because it feels clip. duplicitous, almost deceitful. It's not it does. deceitful. I think it, it feels that way to me. To me, it's efficient. Tawdry. It's not 
Tawdry. It is Tawdry. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Gosh, that was that cookie. Don't be a brand pretender. What does that even mean? Which means you can't put an item in a box from a high-end store, okay, and you bought it at Target. Oh, that'd you, be the ultimate. I mean, yeah, you can't do that. First of all, you're being you're cheaping out emotionally by regifting, and then you're trying to make it better than what it was. Well, yeah, and you can't do that. Why even bother at that point? You can't, again, why even okay. bother to give a gift? Okay, now now here's another thing. There are people I'm reading here from the Washington Post who hate regifting and think it's thoughtless. I once gave a relative, the writer says, a nice shirt I purchased thinking she would like it. She thought it was a regift and complained to others in the family. <laughs> Good. So if you suspect someone might be offended if they receive a regifted item, don't do it. Amen. Regifting should not lead to hurt feelings. Lexi, so are you paying attention so we don't uh, affect John's uh, uh, mental process in this? So proceed with caution if you are a regifter. Good. So basically, we can't give John any regifted anything. No, because here's the deal. When you give someone a gift, there is a thoughtful attitude that goes into the gift, right? You're mm-hmm. thinking, okay, what is it about Kath that she likes? And I'm going to yes, think. Yes, that's true. And then I'm going to wander around in my head for a little bit and go, oh, yeah. oh remember when she said that? Okay, but and- what if you wander around in your head and you think, wait a minute, I have that thing. What are the odds? Well, you don't know. What are know. the odds? You uh-huh, don't know. No. It feels convenient. Okay, but cheap, here's the thing. Tawdry, okay. less than. <laughs> it feels like all these things. I, I think like, you're really uh, overreacting Like the friendship is it. null and void just because you happen to have something on hand in a drawer that you could quickly just throw out. If you suspect you are on the receiving like end of a regift, don't ask. Don't embarrass the person, John. Oh. Be gracious. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Suck it up. I don't... <laughs> Yeah. Don't ask. Mm-hmm. Is this a regift? Yeah, you don't want to ask. Well, that. of course, the regift is probably going to lie anyway because they don't get caught up in that. Well, no, the shame no. Of it one, of the, one of the other things that I didn't read in the article it says if you're caught in a regift, then just immediately own up to it. Of course, immediately. You can't. So. You can't possibly try to explain your way out of it. Oh, you, just, no. you just you know own up to it. I mean, the the classic regifting is the year after a couple gets married. How do you mean? Because they got so many wedding gifts, and a lot of them are wedding gifts that they don't. So next they year, don't want them. you give somebody a blender. So you're giving something that's negative to you and trying to turn it into a positive. Well, it's just that's some, exactly what well, you're doing. But it's something that you don't like. It's say, a negative. Say I got three blenders. What am I going to do with three blenders? So I take two of them and I give one to you and your wife and one to Lexi. <laughs> not as a gift. No, not as a gift. No, you could do give it to me in July. Don't give it to me on December 22nd. Well, yeah, but, but it's a brand go, new blender. Here, here. Why am I going to give you a brand new blender in July? I see. This is. I think this is the classic argument here. Never, never shall we meet here in the middle. Yeah, probably. You not. have one perspective. I have another. Mm-hmm. I think it's less than. Right. I think it's uncaring. It's not anything that's engaging to me that lifts me up, that makes me feel good about you and our friendship. Look, and, it look, feels this, less than. I mean, this regifting isn't like, oh, holy night here. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> for goodness sake. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to tell you it's going to be an edge of the Grand Canyon experience. <laughs> I'm not looking for that. I'm just looking for some heartfelt exchanges. That's all. Okay, but if it's. You're nope. not regifting somebody who you're trying to have a heartfelt exchange with. Oh, really? It sounds like a lot of family members are being regifted. So if it's not heartfelt within the family, well, who is it heartfelt with? Well, because the sometimes next door neighbor? you have, yeah, sometimes you exchange gifts with someone who you care for, but it's not like an intimate friend. Okay, well, we're going to slice it like that. <laughs> That's fine. 
Mm. I, I guess. So what you're saying is there is a time and a place there, and a person to re-gift with. There is. And I'm telling you, if you know a couple who got married this year and that you get a present from them, it's probably re-gifted. Would you, gift, would you re-gift to your husband? Well, what, I don't even know how I would end up with Would you re-gift? Well, no, because it would never Case work. Closed. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's a litmus test for me right there. If you wouldn't with your husband, why would you with anybody else? That's all I'm saying. Does this make sense? Does what make sense? Fruitcake. Oh. It's the holidays. It's the time. Well, I know it's easy to malign a fruitcake, but to be honest, I kind of like it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, do I want to eat an entire fruitcake or... No, but occasionally, like, a fruitcake shows up in the office kitchen, and I'll go, oh, give me a little slice of that. Really? Yeah. I have a little... I'll have a taste of that. Well, not the whole thing, mm-hmm. but a slice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a fruitcake is a good gift. Okay. Just don't re-gift it. Okay. Um, first of all, it's probably the most re-gifted uh, thing around the holiday table. Really? No really? question about okay. it. Right. Because I, I think most people don't like the fruitcake, and so if they get it as a gift, they're more likely to pass it on. Okay. So I don't mean to ruin it for you, but... Uh, <laughs> it's coming your way. Uh, here's the thing. I think it's just gross texturally. Just packed with all these different yes. things. So the fact that it I has like that. so many things in it and it can be at room temperature... Temperature, yeah, is distasteful to me. Hmm. So I feel like it doesn't make sense. Okay, I feel like it's from like the Charles Dickens era. Yeah, probably is. Yeah, because there's right, no preservatives, they, right? And or, there were no, ref, there was no refrigeration. Right. Nothing. I'm not saying there was something wrong with the Charles Dickens. I mean, there were several things wrong with <laughs> the Charles me. Dickens era. Yeah. There's probably someone hair in there. Yeah. <laughs> in the fruitcake, among other things. Oh, it's, well, but see, no now, you've, now you've just gone and made it measurably worse. <laughs> All right, so Doesn't I'm saying sense. fruitcake makes Thumbs sense. Thumbs down on the fruitcake. All right, does this make sense? A t-ball. Oh, I thought you meant like playing t-ball. You no. mean like the t-ball? Oh, like yeah. Tea, yeah. Like, okay, so you like a cup of tea. Yes. You don't want to use a tea bag. Yes. But you have your little stainless steel yes. or metal ball yes. that you put loose tea in. Yes. It makes all the sense in the world. I think so, too. It's the way to be. Yeah. My mother-in-law taught me. To use a t-ball. Always, because the 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 cast-offs, tea-wise, are what ends up in the tea bags. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's true. But she told me that. Really? And I believe most things she told me. Well, like when you go to like a nice tea store and you buy... I mean, loose it, tea. Isn't that a, a, an enjoyable experience? Yes. I only use loose tea. And you get the sample. And yeah. then you have to have some, you know, something to hold a it vehicle. in. A vehicle. Right. So you pour the hot water over the tea ball. Man, I, I just love it. I like it too. Mm-hmm. Now, you do have... Some little leaves will escape. That's okay. It doesn't bother me. No. Some people are really sensitive to that, though. But the quality of tea is opposed so to tea It's so much bag? better. And you can make a second or third cup. Tea balls make sense. I was just talking to a friend last night on the phone, and uh, about a month ago, she broke up with her boyfriend, and 
the first thing after she said, you know, so and so and I broke up. And I said, oh, I, I thought things were going so well. And she was like, yeah, you know, I thought they were going so well too, and blah, blah, blah. The next thing out of her mouth was, and it's almost Christmas. Hmm. And so we talked about it. And so to her, she actually would rather have held on to the relationship until after New Year's because it was so much more depressing to her now than she expected it would be in January. So how do you, if you are single, navigate being single during the holidays? Is it a burden or is it a thing to go, I'm fine, I'm good to go? Lisa Anderson is with us. She's a regular guest on our show. Lisa is director of Boundaries, Boundless, and Young Adults at Focus on the Family. She hosts the Boundless Show, the weekly podcast, and the radio show. Lisa, welcome back. Hey, so good to be here. Thanks, guys. So, Lisa, the story about my friend, um, does that surprise you? No, not at all. Um, In fact, I think it was uh, last year I remember talking a fair amount. uh, Some group had come out with this algorithm that determined that December 11th is the biggest breakup day of the year. <laughs> is that and right? So, yeah. If you get like people actually math to this and there are reasons behind it. And it's kind of alluding exactly to what you were saying, saying Kathy, that people are like, I don't want to take this relationship into the new year. I don't want to introduce this person to my family. I don't want to buy a gift. Um, there are just a number of reasons and people are like, eh, if a relationship is meh, or some people are just single and haven't been dating. And it's just, I say like the holidays, I mean, you think we're coming into Christmas, then you have New Year's, and then, oh, wait, we can do Valentine's Day. It's like the singles trifecta of holiday horror, okay? <laughs> right. So this is where I feel like we have got to get some intention around this holiday for the 50% of the U.S. adult population that is now single. So wow. this isn't just a few fringe people. So we got to find a way as a community, as the church, to do this better. Wow, 50% of the population is single. I didn't know that, least. So then is there a way, I mean, if you're single and you're alone for the holidays, uh, if you th- consider it not a big deal or a burden, how do you make peace with it? And how do you deflect people who do make it a big deal or a burden? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think the first thing we have to do is, you know, I mentioned putting intention behind it. You need to not let the holidays hit you like the flu. Okay, a lot of single people, I mean, and the other thing is putting perspective to this because who everyone is disappointed in some way by Christmas. Okay. You don't Mm -hmm. have to be single to have unmet expectations. I mean, who doesn't show up with family and there are fights or someone doesn't come to the celebration or kids are rogue and you know, your, your teens uh, or your adult children have walked away and don't want anything to do with you. So I think again, setting expectations and realizing I'm not going to let Christmas happen to me. And so, you know, I think for for singles especially, knowing what the holiday will look like, are you going to be able to travel home or are you going to be by yourself or in your, you know, away from your family of origin or whatever? Knowing that is going to help you plan because you want to be, you don't want to wake up Christmas morning, you know, and it's your favorite holiday and you're alone, you have no plans, you haven't done a thing. So this is where it's like crafting the experiences you want it Mm. is very helpful 
Mm-hmm. And so singles, you know, plan, initiate, host something. You curate something that you think will be special. And quite frankly, you can bless other people and invite them in. I think too often as singles, we sit around and we're like, oh, woe is me. I've just got the worst life. You know, well, we have the power to create a great holiday for others too. And I know I've historically done this with a few of my elderly friends, widows and others who didn't have anywhere to go. Maybe they were shut-ins, maybe they were my neighbors and being able to include them in my celebration and be the person that can bless them is a great start on that front as well. I love the idea of thinking ahead when it comes yeah. to like, you're, you're taking care of your own mental health. You're at least striving to do that. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And that and ta- and thinking ahead involves a lot of things. So, for example, like maybe a single person is going to travel. They're going to go visit some family. Set your travel, your lodging and your gift expectations from the get go, because that can turn into a big nightmare. If all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm the single person, you know, all my married family members, they're just giving me this family gift, but I'm expected to get a gift for everyone. Oh, I'm the yeah, right. Who's yeah. Like, you know, so bitterness ensues, okay, <laughs> if you don't think of this. So, and lodging, you know, I mean, a, a precious Boundless fan told me one time, yeah, Lisa, last Christmas I went home and all my siblings are married and my parents literally blew up an air mattress and put it on the kitchen floor. Oh my and that's where I was supposed to sleep because you're single you can handle it. You don't have kids or you don't have a spouse, you know, and it just can be hurtful. (laughs) So we got to think through these things and be sensitive to where people are and not treat them like second class citizens. So again, traveling, setting the expectation, where are you going to be staying? What's the vibe going to be like? All of that has to be conversations that happen with friends and family uh, from the get-go. That's really good. Lisa Anderson is with us. She's director of Boundless and Young Adults at Focus on the Family. She hosts the Boundless Show, a weekly podcast and a radio show. But Lisa, you know, uh, what you said about the expectations and the hallmark thing, right? I mean, the holidays don't necessarily, because more often than not, that's true. They are not hallmark. Everyone deals Mm -hmm. with some despair or some resentment or some anger or just heartbreak over the holidays, single or not, but I think especially it's magnified because people are single. It is, and it's just because this holiday has been so um, inflated to be about relationships and about family and about home. So, you know, you mentioned Hallmark. That's a great example. I mean, look at the number of engagements that happen around Christmas. That's really tough to see. Or the comparison trap of social media, the emphasis on families and everyone in their matching PJ sets. You know, it can just be hard for a single person to take in. And so I think that's why one of my recommendations for singles and, and even others who are struggling is like maybe this is the perfect time to take a break from social media and just be like I'm not going to live other people's stories and get all weird about it and be you know lamenting my own situation and seeing every person's engagement ring blown up you know on a on an Instagram post so you know again and that's not being selfish there are times to enter into joy with other people but also maybe you just need some space and some time uh, just to make it through the holidays and kind of have that be like your time and then you can go and celebrate all these folks after the front end of the year so again i think just wisdom uh wisdom in doing that is is a great way to go about it 
We're talking to Lisa Anderson. Lisa is the director of Boundless and Young Adults at Focus on the Family. She also hosts the Boundless Show weekly podcast and radio show. Um, hey, I want to give a plug to our good friend Sherry Lynn, who's from uh, the Pittsburgh area, who has been yeah. a dear friend of John and mine for, I don't know, forever. And um, she's doing a podcast on singleness. And I saw that you were a recent guest. That is so true. In fact, before I uh, picked up the phone here, I just got an email from her saying, hey, it's live. And just such a great conversation with her and a couple other women about, yeah, walking this out, what it looks like at different ages and stages. And so I get that's a, in fact, that's another great example of how singles can support one another. Like, I mean, singles, maybe find a couple of your other single friends and you guys decide to do the holidays together, you know, and I think that's why you got to have your tribe and you got to be okay and unashamed to be like, sometimes I just need to hang out with people who are kind of like me and that's okay too. But that said, I always love to say to every married person, every family, you know, couple listening, enfold a single person around the holidays. It doesn't have to be in your Christmas morning, but maybe have them over for dinner or a game night or, you know, New Year's Eve or something. And just to say, I see you, I care about you, you matter. It just shows that you care that they're part of the, the family as well and they're part of the body of Christ. So I think it all makes a difference. That's really good. Lise, before you leave us, talk to us about Focus on the Family and your work specifically with Boundless. Yeah, so Boundless, we love to talk to specifically kind of the younger adults out there who are doing life, kind of discipling up, owning their faith, uh, maybe um, navigating adulting and all the decisions they have to make. So at Boundless.org, we have a conversation, including a weekly podcast. We do a blog. um, We have our weekly articles. And that's where folks can just, again, like I said, feel seen and heard in the life stage that they're in to truly go after life and faith and apply it uh, any day of the week. So it's a fun, a fun spot to be in. Well, that is terrific. That's Lisa Anderson. So you can check all that out. And if you're interested in her conversation with Pittsburgh's own Sherry Lynn, uh, the podcast is called Snacks and Good Company. And you can find out more about their conversation on singleness. So grateful for you, Lisa. And we always look forward to our conversations. Hey, it's a few weeks out, but Merry Christmas to you guys and have a great holiday season from this single person who's not going to be angry or bitter. Fabulous. (laughs) I love it. Merry Christmas to you, Lisa. Thanks so much for all the contribution throughout the year. Absolutely. My Thanksgiving celebration, and I know we're kind of thinking ahead to Christmas, but I need to think back first, wasn't what I had planned on it being, but it ended up to be so great. Okay, so let me tell you about it. So, When I was growing up, every Thanksgiving was about doing something with family, mm-hmm. right? So sure. my parents, my aunt and uncle and cousin, my sister, her kids, you know, all that sort of thing. So Thanksgiving was already was always a time that was spoken for, right? Um, but once I was uh, maybe, I don't know, 40 years old, 45 years old, I started thinking, you know, it would be neat to be able to have a Thanksgiving meal with just a bunch of people that didn't have a, a place to go for Thanksgiving, you know, just kind of a, a, a myriad group of people. Sure. Um, but it never, it never really worked out until this year when it actually did work out. And so basically around my Thanksgiving table, there were 16 of us there. I had some of my immediate family. 
I had some of my extended family, and then I had certain people from my church and some of their family. So it was a group of people that did not know each other. And you knew most of them? No. Yeah, I probably, yeah, I knew most of them. But I like, I didn't know the family members of the people who were coming. Um, So the night before Thanksgiving, I thought, you know, because this is this is one of the considerations that the host has to think of ahead of time is have I invited a good group of people? What's that, the mix? Right. That's going to meld well. Sure. Because if you screw that up, then it can be a really long night, hmm. you know. And so I was thinking, I don't know if I did this right. Plus, I didn't I kind of lost control of it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, can they come? Can yeah, we do yeah, this? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I thought, well, you know, that this is God's hands and not my hands. Anyway, um, it ended up to be so terrific. And this is what was great about it, is that it was unplanned. So we're sitting around the Thanksgiving table, and we start talking. And again, most of the people don't know each other. So, you know, the nosh portion of the evening around the cheese board was kind of, hey, who are you? And, you know, who are you? And how did you end up here? Was it all around one table? Uh, The cheese, yes, was around one table. Um, So so we we knew each other's names by this point. Mm -hmm. But we sit down to actually have the meal, and we start talking about food. Because that's what you're doing at Thanksgiving, yeah, you're eating, right? So, it always goes back so to people food. are talking about what they used to eat when they were growing up. And I realized I had not thought about this before, but I realized that around the table we had people of different ethnic background. Mm-hmm. So we had several people who were Black Americans. We had most of the people were White Americans, and we had two Navajo Americans. Wow. Okay. Again, that was not planned. It was not like I set up a checklist. I want to have this many ethnic groups covered. And I think that's why I think that's why it was so life giving is because it was we weren't trying to to have like the woke holiday. It just kind of happened. But when we started talking about food, that's what kind of opened up the floodgates of conversation. Hmm. So. So a a couple of my um, black friends were talking about what foods were around their Thanksgiving table when they were kids and how weird it was for them when they started going to a church of mostly white people that they would get to a holiday and they felt like it wasn't the holiday because it's not what we had. It's not what we had. And, you know, in your mind, you associate holidays with certain foods. Right. And they were like, wait a minute, this is weird. Um, Anyway, so. We were able to talk about how food makes us feel like we're part of something, mm-hmm. like we have a heritage, like we have a tradition. Yeah. In my family, because we were so invested in our Polish background, all of our traditions have to do with that. They have to do that's the food, that's the order you eat the food, that's the food that you fast from. Even at Thanksgiving. Even at Thanksgiving. Um, and so, I am just so connected to that, you know, and and then a couple of my black friends were talking about what it's like to not know what your heritage is. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, well, you know, one of the guys was like, you know, I have a friend who's black and they said, well, you know, you should celebrate your African heritage. You know, what, what am I, what country are you from in Africa? And he was like, I don't know. And I thought I'd never thought about what it would be like to not know 
where your family was right. from. I'm Polish. I'm Irish. Right. Right. Yeah. He has I'm no Scottish. idea. He has no idea what country he's from. Um, and then the two young women who were Navajo cool. were talking about kind of a whole different perspective on how, like, Thanksgiving for them, it was kind of like... Um, Like their people were part of it, but weren't organizing it. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like invited latecomers kind of thing to Thanksgiving. So did the Navajos celebrate Thanksgiving? Uh-huh. Yep. Really? And, yep. and did they eat similar? Uh, slightly, mm-hmm. but they're also half white. So everybody's so eating they're, turkey. So, right. So they're half. So everybody was. Everybody was familiar with what we were eating. Sure. The basics. But it wasn't necessarily representative of how they grew up. Hmm. What were the wild card dishes that showed up at people's tables? I'm always interested in that. So I made corn pudding this year. Mm-hmm. And I made it because I made it last year for the first time and really liked it. And no one else did. So I truly made it for me. What turned out this year, spontaneously, everybody liked it. Oh. But I thought that that might be like a black American dish. Well, the two people who were there, who were representing that group, were like, are you kidding me? Like, my mac pudding? And like we don't do pudding. So then I looked it up and realized it's like a British thing, okay. corn pudding. Sure. You know, kind of like kidney pudding. They make all those puddings right. that really sound disgusting. Um, but anyway, it was pretty good. So that was a representative one. Um, one of my friends made collard greens, mm-hmm. which I had never, that was never a part of any Thanksgiving I've ever, I've ever been to yeah. until this year. They're good, weren't they? Are you kidding? Yeah, me? my sister is in Virginia. She always makes greens. Yeah, oh, it was very absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, we had uh, we had pumpkin pie as per normal. Mm-hmm. We had an apple uh, raspberry pear pie. Excellent. Delicious. Excellent. And then my friend made sweet potato pie, mm-hmm. which also has never been a part of my Thanksgiving table because pumpkin. You sure. Know. Well, pumpkin and sweet potato pie are very different. Really? And we I didn't have sweet potato pie until Frank Tillman brought us one. Oh, Maybe a Frank. decade ago. Frank's wife. Yeah, sure, sure. Frank's wife made us a sweet potato pie. Uh, and of course, I've loved it ever since then. Anyway, yeah. but it was good to have that. Anyway, all I'm saying is I bring that up because it, we were just talking about singleness mm-hmm. and, um, and how having people around your table who are from different stages of life different parts of the country or different ethnic backgrounds can be really fun if you're not doing it to try to make a point. Sure. Just because you want to be hospitable. Right. And it, it it's just it can be surprising and fun and I don't know. We had we had really great conversations around the table. I bet. Most people can't or won't do that because one, families families first. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Or it seems uncomfortable. Maybe a little unusual. It is it it is uncomfortable and unusual. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been a lot easier to just have a small group, right? Right. Your close family in there's ten of us, so there's eight of us, and that's okay, right? But at the end of the night, uh, one of the guys who was there, who's single, um, he came. He was a friend of some family members, and uh, he's such a terrific, such a terrific guy. Anyway, he left that night, and he said. I, he said, I feel seen after tonight. Hmm. He said, I was able to talk like a black man in your White House, and you, it wasn't weird for you or me. And it wasn't like I had to pretend I wasn't, or you had to pretend I wasn't, or there was, he said, there just wasn't anything weird about it. And 
he said, I, I just, I'm, this has been one of my favorite Thanksgivings. So that's the key of hospitality. I think so. That you provide a space where people are comfortable to tell their story, right? Yeah. Without fear of finger pointing or retribution or embarrassment or I need to hide because or protocol no, d- or desires Or maybe that. no fear of someone inviting you because you're a prop, mm-hmm. because you're... The token. The token, or you're supposed to represent your people or whatever it is, right. just because you are a person. Mm-hmm. Hospitality is one of those things, and I believe it's one of your gifts, that it's a very difficult, sort of fragile thing to negotiate through, mm-hmm. right? That I think be. most of us want to be hospitable, but most of us, I believe, are just leery of it or awkward with it, so we choose not to do it. After COVID, it seems easier for us to avoid awkward things. You think? Yeah, without a doubt, right? I mean, you want to be with your your people, mm-hmm. and anybody else, uh, it's okay, right? I'll come back to it maybe. Or it's going to take a lot of energy for me to do it, and I don't really have the energy, right? I, th- I think at holiday, you already are assuming you're going to put some energy into it, and so it's easier to open it up a little further. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, that's really good. That's a good story. Sounds like a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, it, does. it yeah. was a good Thanksgiving. All right, so so then Christmas will be a little bit different because Christmas is primarily family. Yes, and I have so many family. I think we're going to have twenty seven family members together in one house. So we just heard Lisa Anderson. Will anyone be sleeping on the kitchen floor? I don't think anybody. There's only one person sleeping at our house. It's just everybody's going to be eating at our house. Mm-hmm. We have a house that's good for. Like eating, yeah, and not a house that's good for sleeping. When you only have one bathroom, mm, that's mm, not a good mm, place for everybody to stay over. <laughs> I've we had fourteen one year sleeping at our house between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day Four, with one bathroom. Uh, that's just that's not. That's I have to say, it's not recommended. No, no. Is there a Pittsburgh toilet? We had one when we moved in, and then we took it out. Was that a mistake? Yeah, it was a mistake. Do you have one? Yeah. Is it just in the middle of the room? No, it's against the wall. It's next to the it's next to the dryer. Oh, that's nice. I mean, but it comes in handy. <clears throat> so it gets utilized in your house. Heck yeah, it does every day. Yeah, every day it gets utilized in your without house without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always happy to see it. I Sometimes it's a respite. My grandparents lived in New Ken, and they had a Pittsburgh toilet. And whenever I would go down to use it, it was like it was. It, it was like the Amityville horror. We have received that comment. Yeah. And you're not going to send guests down to the Pittsburgh toilet. No. And you're I was the not. granddaughter. It wasn't like I was a guest. No, but right. every <clears> single <throat> time I went to go use the bathroom downstairs, my grandmother would say, now don't get into the pickles. Don't don't mess with the pickles. <laughs> I'm just going to the bathroom, Grant. I really don't yeah, care please. about the pickles. <laughs> Thank you. Very nice. Hey, uh, uh, always a pleasure that you, you stopped by and joined us here for the Ride Home, the Wednesday edition. The podcast is up and running after we leave the show, so um, if you missed a little portion of it or you want to go back and listen to something else um, and you can also find us if you want to connect with us as, as well via email or social media we're out there on facebook and twitter and whatnot so easy to find all right anyway always a pleasure thank you so much and uh we'll see them on the thursday edition god willing and, uh, have a great night it's fun. see your prayers the ride home with john and kathy a production of salem media group 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.